0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed the two co-founders of Fathom AI, a very interesting piece of wearable technology along with some very interesting technology that analyzes what those wearables are telling us about our body and about injury prevention. I have always had a lot of issues exercising, um, not really with injuries, but with chronic stuff. Um, I had asthma as a kid and all these other types of situations. And um, so for the last five or six years, I've taken a really intense interest into what's happening in my body when I exercise and what's um, how can I live and move more comfortably and the science behind it. Uh, and so this was really fun to dig into their knowledge base about what they are learning about the human body from their wearable technology, and it also makes me interested in the future of, of biomechanics and of technology's ability to help us with more chronic issues and uh, prevent maybe chronic issues as well. So I really love this episode, and I hope you do too. Um, and if you do, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom. Uh, we're also on Spotify and Stitcher. And once you find us, please go ahead and subscribe, uh, and also leave us a review if you really like us. And I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsup III. Um, my DMs are open, so if you have any thoughts you'd like to share about the show, please find me at Twitter on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III and send me a DM. Hope you guys have a great day and enjoy the holidays. Well, welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, this is the first podcast I'm doing from Medellin, Colombia, but it's a remote and uh, it's actually with, with Gabrielle and Ivana from Fathom AI. I already did an interview with Ivana um, and really excited to talk to Gabrielle more about the biomechanics and cause she has a background in biomechanics uh, and how they are using these, this wearable technology in, in order to figure out what's going on in the human body. So I'm really excited to dig that into that. Welcome, welcome to the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having
0: us. Yep. So uh, I guess we'll give a little bit more explanation. Can you guys explain a little bit more about what Fathom AI is uh, and how it kind of uh, goes into the biomechanics of a human body?
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you want to give the high level?
2: Yeah, totally. I can give a little bit of, a, uh, of an intro. So um, Fathom is a system that uses three little wearable devices. They're about the size of a quarter, and they stick to your skin on each ankle and right on the small of the back. And with those devices, we're able to measure how the body moves, changes, fatigues, and most importantly, develops things like compensations, dysfunctions, and asymmetries. And by understanding your um, dysfunctions and asymmetries, we actually kind of predict um, uh, your likely needs for recovery and injury prevention and provide very simple, actionable exercises that look like stretching, foam rolling, some muscle activation, strengthening, um, and provide those two users to do on a daily basis in 10 to 15 minutes a day um, to keep their bodies healthier, longer, and reduce their injury risk overall.
0: So interesting. Okay. So now I want to get into the, so you stick it on your, the back of your ankle. Is that the, on the Achilles tendon or where, where exactly does it go on?
1: Um, right behind the, the ankle bone. So in the gap between where the Achilles tendon goes up and where your, your bone is protruding from the side.
0: Interesting. Um, and so, so it's on the bone, is it measuring the bone or is it measuring the tendon or is it measuring all of it?
2: So we're, we're trying to actually measure um, biomechanics. So the, the focus for us is to get on bony segments so we understand how that bony segment moves. Um, ideally, we actually don't track the soft tissue movement, but we're tracking as much of the skeletal structure as we
0: can. And this is super interesting, probably because my listeners don't know that, that, that um, but you guys probably know is that bone, the bone remodels plastically over, over time, given stress. Is that, is that accurate?
1: um so sorry, say it
0: again. so if i'm <laughs> if i'm doing a lot of exercise and i'm uh if i'm putting a lot of pressure onto certain parts of my bone uh mm-hmm. if, for example bone will remodel depending on what type of exercise i'm doing so is that is that absolutely. correct is that accurate
1: absolutely so your, your bone density will respond to how you're stressing your body yes
0: interesting and and i believe
2: so, that there are several conditions that are associated with that too like is isn't as slaughters something to do with that as well yeah yeah, yeah. there are all
1: sorts of um I guess, dysfunction and malady that can can adapt. Um.
0: So I actually have Osgood Slaughter's. Um, Yeah, me as
1: well. (laughs) It's crazy.
0: Interesting. Um, And I would love to understand more about, uh, particularly from you, Gabrielle, about Osgood Slaughter's Mm -hmm. and what that is and and Mm -hmm. how it relates to Fathom AI, if it does.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't um well, I guess it relates in that it was inspiration as a part of the source of my many um injuries uh, that I developed later on, but osg slaughters is a um a bone uh growth that develops because your tendon is not actually um as long as it would need to be while you are loading your body. And so at least in my case um, uh, the bone sort of like grew and extended in order to to make up for that shortened tendon um, as I was specifically
0: interesting and so is the shortened tendon is that the Achilles heel is that the Achilles um,
1: um so for me actually I have mine on my uh, right below my knee so it was for my patella tendon um, but you can also absolutely get um, bone spurs uh, at the back of your heel because of your Achilles tendon being tight things like this especially while growing um, while the growth plates are not yet fused
2: Interesting. And a lot of people um, who may not have kind of as severe a a form of um, shortening or or tightness in that tendon will still often have uh, asymmetric or imbalanced tightness uh, or or like length imbalances in their Mm -hmm. body in various areas that cause um, maybe not a bone deformity, but a skeletal misalignment.
1: Right. Such that like, I guess, in in this area with these specific uh, I guess, injuries in a way. Um, this is not actually our, our focus. What we more more look for is where your body is tight, where muscles or tendons are shorter than um, would be needed for the most efficient functional movement. And we uh, watch the way that we, you move so that we can identify what sort of lengthening protocols um, and what sort of like uh, static myofascial release types of protocols can actually uh, address that dysfunction to actually um, lengthen your soleus so that the pressure on your Achilles tendon puts less pressure um, on other parts of your body, as well as cause uh, dysfunction while you're actually training, propagating injury risk throughout your body.
0: That is so interesting. And and so you're starting with the ankle because you're starting with the, the the back of the heel because that in running that's the thing that's gonna be the most uh, indicative of, of, of maybe where in the rest of the body needs, something needs to happen.
1: Somewhat. So, we actually have a sensor placed on the sacrum as well. And so, which is
2: the small of the back. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, um, right at the base of the spine, right above the tailbone. Um, and this allows us to monitor how your pelvis is moving. Um, and by looking at the pelvis as well as, um, the ankle, or really the tibia, we're able to see what is happening in between those segments throughout the lower extremities to be able to extract insight about pronation, knee valgus, contralateral hip drop, anterior pelvic tilt, these types of things that are um, typically used to identify dysfunction through screening tools and things like that to develop protocols. But we do so while you're actually training, while you're actually putting stress on your body to see where does it actually matter.
0: That is so cool, and and so there's essentially three sensors, one on each foot, and then one on one on the sacrum. Precisely. That is so cool. Um. So. So tendons lengthening and shortening, mm-hmm. and all this is essentially supported by the by the evidence and in, in in that certain tendons become long because the thing that I I because as a human being, we're bipedal. And then we meaning we, we, we only walk around on two feet. And there's a lot of theories that I've heard about, like why that is that we have back problems and stuff like that. And that that's the original reason we have back problems. And then because if I'm thinking about it, you know, like all the other animals, there's no other animals that are bipedal. Um, all the other animals walk locomote on four or walk around on four different uh appendages and then all of a sudden we go to a place where we only have two appendages and so Mm -hmm. it makes me think about this kind of the nature of a human being as like a very um what's the word you used it you used it earlier it's uh asymmetrical so that each and each human being does have asymmetries so like i have got a deviated septum um, Mm. uh, and and for me, it's hard to dis- disassociate the deviated septum from the rest of my body. So, like, and this is I'm learning. I, I had braces, and the braces basically shifted my the 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 biomechanics of, of my whole body. It felt like. Um, uh, and I don't really have a question here, but if anything anything that's uh, sparked from what I said, uh, uh, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think.
1: Yeah, definitely. There are many things from the very beginning of your breathing pattern through your static posture to any sort of, um, I guess, like slightly dynamic malalignments that all uh, combine together to affect the way that you move when you're walking or when you're running. Um, And so there's there's a lot that goes into it um, and there are a lot of ways for things to go wrong. And so I think it is reasonably accepted that it's impossible to have perfect posture and that it's impossible to be perfectly symmetric, nor is that um, like the, the goal, um, but really working towards achieving better symmetry, better balance, yeah. better functional efficiency is, is what we're striving to help people to achieve.
2: And, and there's something really important that you said there, which is like most, you know, people have back problems or back pain, uh, and, th- and that is something that we really care about deeply and focus mm-hmm. about, uh, focus uh, on quite a bit. Which is just because you may have some sort of anomaly or asymmetry or a larger angle of knee valgus than you know most people doesn't necessarily make it an anomaly or uh, excuse me make it a, make it a problem or an injury risk factor. What we're trying to understand is sort of um, do you, do you potentially have a, a larger range of motion? And that's normal for you. And that's, that's okay for you. Um, what we do is we actually uh, have a, a model that combines information about your pain, your soreness, your tightness, and your biomechanics um with how you're actually training. And so we try to take a, a little bit more of a holistic view of like, what are you doing to your body? How are you moving through those those motions? And are we seeing any sort of symptoms that um, may be early precursors or early indicators of something that could be an injury risk factor? Um, and so yeah, it, the, the human body is really complex. And we by no means, by no means, uh, you know, want to oversimplify it. But what we what we try to essentially do is look for predictable patterns, predictable maladies that we can help people get ahead of, you know, but it just with information that they wouldn't otherwise already have.
0: And this is interesting because, uh, you know, from our conversation, Ivana, we talked about how you bring the subjective component into it as well, and so that I would actually be able to subjective give my subjective understanding of of pain. I actually learned a very interesting tidbit from uh, Dr. Emily Splitchell, who you guys might want to talk to as well. She's a podiatrist, um, and uh, she's done these amazing YouTube videos uh, and uh, uh, all about the connection between. Uh, the Pacinian corpsicles, the mechanoreceptors in our feet. Um, so for my listeners who don't know that, those are the way that our, there's many different mechanoreceptors, and this one particular mechanoreceptor measures vibration, uh, and our feet are particularly attuned to vibration, uh, particularly if we have bare feet. Uh, and uh, her, her thesis is that shoes prevent that, uh, and, that uh, and that that causes a, a chain of maladaptations inside the hip muscles as well. Uh, which is really interesting, and so she t- tied it into breathing as well, and then and said that if you take a large inhale and then you bring the diaphragm uh, lower as low as possible and then hold it, uh, this will affect the baroreceptors and will act, which are the pressure receptors inside of the inside of our body as well, and this will actually change your subjective understanding of pain. Um, and so I, de- I deal with chronic pain, and this was just like. It's crazy. So I started trying it, and it has, you know, it's it's subjective. So it has affected my ability to uh, uh, to feel pain. But there's also placebo effects. So it's you know, it's hard to hard to say. Have you heard anything like that, or did any of that spark anything interesting in either of your heads?
1: (laughs) <laughs> um, that's fantastic to hear that it's helped your pain. Um, that's definitely the goal with all of these different, different approaches. Um, I think something that's really, really critical is understanding that strength isn't the, the only aspect that getting stronger isn't, um, isn't the only way to reduce injury risk. It's one part of the puzzle and things like neuromuscular control, um, and muscle balance and length tension relationships, like things like mm-hmm. that, um, all need to come together for you to be able to retain the proper movement efficiency to remain pain-free um, be able to so to if, do everything that you want to do.
0: Yeah. So if we're, if we're asymmetrical um, mm-hmm. beings and, but some is some asymmetry problematic and some asymmetry, how do you know when this asymmetry is problematic versus not?
1: Um, so, a certain degree of asymmetry is always going to be expected. Um, And uh, we do look to prioritize correcting asymmetry before we look to correct like um, very extreme sorts of uh, oddities in your movement pattern. So like having extreme knee valgus um, is less concerning than having knee valgus just on one side as opposed to the other. um, in that uh, it's... uh, able to be prioritized in that way in order to address your injury risk most effectively. Um, we're also looking to, to focus on things that are actually interfering with your ability to engage in what you love. So things that are causing pain, causing symptoms in other ways, we're going to look at the causes of, of those and correct them before we get down all the way to, to like again, pursuing that perfect posture, which is, yeah. which is impossible.
0: And it feels like there's gonna be some education component and I'll bring my personal story into this because I went through a period of about four years where I really thought symmetry was the thing that, like, that I needed to solve for. And it, and it was, led me down a really ridiculous path, which ended up you know, uh, teaching me all this stuff, which is really cool, but, but it was... It was uh, so I imagine that you guys are gonna to have to educate a lot of people because particularly in our society where images are really important, um, uh, people have this idea of this perfect image that's separate from what might be healthiest for our organism or for the body. Is that is that accurate? Um,
1: can you restate? You...
0: So um, so essentially, just like I th- I think you guys are going to have to do a lot of education uh, in order to do that. I guess it wasn't a question, but <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah. um, So you you talked you talked about the tension the tension relationships, and it's so interesting mm-hmm. for me that you also include the sacrum as it as well. And is the sensor on the whole entire sacrum? How big is the sensor on the sacrum?
2: Yeah, the, the sensor on the sacrum is about the size of a quarter. And so what we actually look for is the position of, of that skeletal structure. So understanding um the position of that skeletal structure and how it moves, the range of motion that it experiences during left foot contacts, right foot contacts, and kind of mm. in various planes of motion, what we're looking at is, are you moving differently um, uh, during you know, left foot strikes versus right foot strikes? And what is the sequence of movements, the combination of movements that's sort of contributing to that movement pattern? So what we care to understand is, are, are we seeing certain types of, uh, let, let's use the example of anterior pelvic tilt, right? Are we seeing more exaggerated anterior pelvic tilt during left foot strikes versus right foot strikes? If we are, does that, you know, that, that might lead us to say, okay, well maybe your, you know, your left lat end uh, is, is tighter than your right or, or shorter than your right. Maybe your left quad is shorter than your right. And we sort of go through this process where we're like, okay, where, where do we see anomalies? How are those anomalies interacting kind of through the kinetic chain as you take a step? And what does that lead us to understand about the likelihood of certain types of imbalances being present in this particular individual? Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Uh, hopefully it makes sense to my listeners too. That. And um, so I just took a dance class today uh, and it's uh, Zouk, Zouk dance. It's a Brazilian dance. And it's, for some reason, this stance is the most helpful for me in terms of that neuromuscular education component where I'm teaching my body how to move. The, the instructor is also helping me understand things a lot. Um, and so I've had some recent insights uh, today, which was really interesting, which is that as I'm moving back and forth, walking back and forth, um, my shoulders need to be relaxed, basically. And because I think because of this, both growing up with some the Ausgood slaughters, another thing, and then this added intervention that I had with a uh, with the uh, braces kind of threw off some muscles in my body so and I think it probably has to do with the intrinsic versus extrinsic muscles um the slow twitch versus flat fast twitch muscles for those of my listeners who don't know there's there's a lot of different uh, maybe you guys would you want to explain the difference between a uh, slow twitch and fast twitch
1: um, I, I know it less technically, um, than a lot of the other sorts of content, but I can describe it if it's
0: okay. I mean, okay. So then both of us, uh, so essentially, yeah. I, 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 so, and this is something I try to make clear on my show is that, uh, I try to find people who are really good at, uh, saying when they're, when they're an expert and really insane when you're not. And so both of us aren't experts in this, in this particular thing. Uh, and okay. so from my understanding, slow twitch muscles and fast twitch muscles, the fast twitch muscle is the muscle that. Uh, like if I pick something up, uh, or if I go on a sprint, um, that it'll be more fast, fast twitch muscle And a slow twitch muscle is more about when I'm sitting upright, um, and, and something like that. And so let me see if I can find my original point, which was, um,
1: (laughs) Regarding the dance and tension in your shoulders.
0: So in breathing and like, um, uh, so my because i had problems with breathing when i was younger my muscles my accessory muscles of breathing were the ones responsible for kind of trying to breathe into my chest and stuff like that so they got overworked and now i'm going through this process where i'm learning how to relax those and engage Mm -hmm. the type of muscles that i'm that i'm doing and so i learned that today in dance particularly with the shoulders and that's where the breathing component comes in because the 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 scapula sits on top of the rib cage Mm -hmm and that probably gets interfered with the, with the breathing thing. So that, that was a big insight. And again, I don't have a question here. It's just kind of.
1: (laughs) No, but you're, you've absolutely come across something that is um, a key part of having a balanced body. And that um, again, along the lines of neuromuscular control, you're wanting to have balance in how your muscles are actually firing and making sure that you have a balanced reaction in order to, um, to again, keep keep proper movement patterns. So as you are flexing your hip, you have one muscle that's actually accelerating it, but then there is another muscle that's actually decelerating that activity, right? And so in your, in your shoulders, what you're feeling is this um, overactivity in those muscles such that they're really eager to fire and they're really eager to engage when they really shouldn't be. There should be other muscles that are keeping you upright um, and those should be reserved for other type of actions. What's really, really critical is that that sort of overactivity um, can, can generate greater dysfunction over time, such that the more that you actually um, spent more, more load that you put on your body in that non-optimal state, you're going to encourage the muscles that should be firing to actually become underactive. Mm -hmm. So then they're actually becoming less likely to be able to fire at the times when they should be the most typical and common is the, the glute max that it's really should always be engaging and should always be producing force. And it's really, really easy for your glutes to become underactive and for you to start using your lower back or your hamstrings to be producing force in the ways that your glutes should, which then puts more stress on these body parts that are not ready to receive it and are more likely to produce injury.
0: So then the question in my mind comes and you guys might have an answer on it, but might not. And I encourage people to you know, as we just talked about, like, we don't know, don't know, but what is the, how can we, um, how can we essentially get better at our movement in the sense that Mm -hmm. we're not using the muscles that we shouldn't be using and we are using the muscles that we should be using.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There. kind of
2: the premise of (laughs) (laughs) fathom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are really systematic ways that you can retrain your body um, to restore proper length, tension relationships, to lengthen these short muscles, as well as to retrain your body to activate, um, reactivate really the underactive muscles and um, inhibit the the overactive muscles. And once you've restored this sort of balance um, at any given point in time, you have to retrain your body to actually stay there, mm-hmm. right? And so it takes time to achieve that point of balance, practice being in that in that state, and then maintain that for for weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. the, the more that you practice, the the better you become and the more likely you are to retain it long-term.
2: And and a really important piece of this, I think, is, is okay, cool, I, I get that concept that makes sense, lengthen the things that are short, activate the things that are underactive. But for a lot of people, it's, it's not really clear what is what. What do I have to fix? Do I have anything to fix? I know something is hurting, but what is it? Right. And the kind of that, that area, the, the the kinds of concepts we're talking about are not new. They're absolutely not new. These are really well established, tried, true and, and tested principles that physical therapists have been using for ages. Um, the the issue, though, is for the most of us, it's not practical to get out and get a PT screening whenever, you know, there's an ache or a pain or, or even
1: like a slight twinge in your knee. like Yeah
2: but 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 the problem is those you know it's those symptoms those feelings they're often indicative of a emerging or burgeoning or worsening imbalance mm-hmm. that if if you say oh you know what it, it's okay it's just a little bit of you know back pain or it's a little bit of a knee twinge and you go run again and you go lift again those things are going to get worse and worse
1: um, and actually become become more permanent if you have a uh, a new sort of pain in your knee it is going to be much easier and much more effective to resolve it immediately um, because it's very predictable what sort of muscles are, are short at that given time. It might have been as a result of just the most immediate short, uh, like uh, soreness or delayed onset. And so, so when, I,
0: uh, when I hear uh, anything about pain and, and joints and uh, like what you just said, there's three different options in my mind for things that I can do in order to uh, uh, heal or deal with that pain. Uh, the first is exercise, uh, the one I'm relying on. The, the second is surgery uh, and the third is uh, uh, this is my understanding of it I, don't, I haven't read anything in terms of the evidence on it, but uh, uh, essentially psychotherapy um, and working with the, the, the somatic or the emotional or some would say spiritual side of, of, uh, of, of my particular situation as an individual on this, on this earth. Um, and I think the one that we've been overusing for a while is number two, uh, the, the surgery, because because most people kind of it is very complicated. I'm sure as to as to why people choose surgery, uh, and uh, and there's a lot to do with what kind of doctors are suggesting and, and things like that. So that's really interesting. And that, so if if it feels like. The way that I have it in my head is that there is a one field of awareness and so one kind of all my sensations fit into one kind of picture that my brain is creating of my of my body and not only my body but everything i see in in, uh, in the world um and and so this one picture includes pain and it includes like all these little things and for me the reason that I think I went into this dir- this direction of this this asymmetry tra- type of thing, and trying to solve this thing was um, it was like it was a it was a stress motivation. So I was in a lot of stress, and I think the society that I lived in, and maybe my family as well, and where I grew up was that is like more stress. the The way we're going to do this is we do more stress, and so I went into that, mm. and I was like, I'm going to fix this through like stressing myself, and then and then and then I got these braces, which really did that. Uh, And then, uh, uh, and now it's like, but now I'm learning, it feels like rest and relaxation are the key components to healing something or this long-term. And do you guys include that in Fathom AI as well?
2: It's Something that I think this is a really interesting time to introduce this concept, but the kinds of activities that we're talking about are typically referred to as active rest. And I, Gabby would be able to elaborate a little bit more on that, but like that is something that I think is really, it, it feels like an oxymoron to most people, but it is, a, it's a, it's a key to being gentle with your body, but delivering results.
1: Absolutely. And such that um, stress and only stress is very much expected to produce injury, that stress alone without any sort of recovery, without any sort of um, restoration is, is absolutely just going to produce a, a negative outcome. Um, and to expand like what sort of activities or what sort of um, recovery sort of interventions are meaningful, we know about sleep, we know about nutrition as having really significant impacts on the, the cellular, cellular level even um, in order to facilitate uh, recovery. But something that I think is is often overlooked is actually retaining that, that movement efficiency and retaining that proper balance, such that we're doing things like massage or foam rolling um, or any sort of uh, dynamic or active release. Um, and we're actually functionally stretching muscles that have become tight due to overuse. Um, and we're actually retraining the body to activate in the proper ways that these types of active rest types of, of pieces are absolutely critical and to just stress your body, sleep and eat well is not going to produce the outcomes that you'd, that you'd want or that you'd expect.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think like the, these are often referred to as the three R's. It's uh, rest, refuel and retain movement. It's the three R's of recovery. Right. And what it comes down to is for, for the average person, I, you know, I know that I need to get eight hour, hours of sleep, but sometimes I can't do that or I can do that really consistently and it's not moving the needle for me, right? Because on a, my hardest days now, all of a sudden I need to get nine or 10. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to refueling, uh, we all know that we are terrible at eating well, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And it's it's incredibly hard to change your kind of dietary habits um, uh, around around your 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 schedule your fitness goals and it's it's something that most of the country really really struggles with most people really really struggle with but where we have kind of the the one of the the greatest opportunities for meaningful change that we see um, as it pertains to injury mitigation is really in taking those 10 minutes a day 10 to 15 is is uh a a Mm. perfectly suitable amount of time for people to really move the needle on uh recovering well and uh doing so in a way that can aid in kind of functional injury prevention long term. That's not mm-hmm. to say that we shouldn't, you know, try to eat and try to sleep well. Um, please, please do. But you know, it's 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 sort of like harder and harder and harder. Um, what what we find it's harder and harder for people to move the needle meaningfully in those two buckets. But for goodness' sake, ten minutes a day, like <laughs> we can get it in. Yeah.
0: Um, so- and this gets into something really interesting, which I've never talked about. This show, I barely ever talked to anybody about it. But I, um, I've, I've been—you guys might have noticed it—I'm I'm like I'm massaging my forehead or my my uh, jaw, uh, and I've, I've uh, basically started to do a lot of self-massage, and it actually helps me do massage on other people and stuff like that. Is is uh, because I'm I'm understanding my my own anatomy, and then I can everybody else is very very similar anatomy, so I can also understand their anatomy. Uh, and so s- uh, foam rolling and self-massage, I wonder, it, I, I, do you know of anybody who's doing research into into self-massage and whether that's the same thing as other massage as well? Like what is the difference between somebody else giving me a massage and me giving myself a massage?
1: Absolutely. So the, the goal is myofascial release um, and to actually have like, if you can imagine your muscle is holding sort of tension to like have a moment where that tension is is relaxed or released at that overactivity or muscle spasm is sort of just let go of however you achieve it, whether it is having someone give you a massage or doing some sort of trigger point um, uh, method to actually release. There are many ways of doing it and the benefits are are profound in all ways.
2: Yeah, including foam rolling. I think it, it, for anyone who's kind of in the training recovery sports medicine space doing research, you'll hear or you'll see SMR really frequently and that stands for self-myofascial release. And those are basically any modality that you use, whether it's your hand, a foam roller, a tennis ball to achieve that point of tension release through inhibition.
0: Through inhibition. Interesting. So, and that's what you're talking about—that component of feeling the as you're as you're massaging it, feeling the active release. Is, and that's an inhibition coming from the central nervous system. What, what's what's doing the inhibi- inhibition?
2: So in, in, inhibition is referring to inhibiting the muscle, kind of re uh, uh, in in order to achieve the myofascial release. Kind mm-hmm. of the 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 segment um, of activity. If you sort of think think of activities in segments, there's like inhibition, stretching, muscle activation, integrated movement, et cetera. Inhibition is this whole kind of concept of, of um, uh, achieving SMR. Yeah.
1: Decreasing muscular activity. Yeah.
2: yeah, decreasing muscle muscular activity.
0: Um. And this gets into the, the global versus local tissue dynamics. Uh, so if anybody doesn't understand, that, it's like we have tissues, muscles, tendons, all these things are just different tissues. Uh, and then, uh, we have local tension, but then there's a global tension as well. Um, and I've been paying attention to some fascia researchers, uh, particularly Dr. Schleip, uh, in, in the university of Ulm in Germany. And he talks about, um, that when we put our hands on someone else or we put our, I don't know about the putting our hands on ourselves either is that we, we send messages to the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus essentially regulates, uh, and the hypothalamus is a, a organ inside of the brain that, and to my understanding helps the connection between the, uh, limbic system and the, uh, um, and the, uh, primal lizard brain. I'm forgetting the actual name right now, but the regulatory areas of the, of the, of the, of the brain uh, and it kind of tunes that and then it also tunes global tension, correct? Is that right?
1: Um, I do not reasons. work on the, the sort of cellular level that you're talking about, um, but it seems very, very plausible.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. And again, so I'm not an expert at all and, and find, do your own research on this, but it, it, and look <laughs> at Rob, Robert Schleip because he's, he's doing some interesting stuff and the, all the fascia researchers <laughs> are doing really interesting stuff. Um, so uh, do you, I'd I'd love to understand how fascia, fascia contributes to what you're talking about and, and what you're understanding from either the latest evidence about the connection between muscles and fascia or, um, or what, what the deal is basically.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I do not focus specifically in, in fascia, but we do look at, um, the, let me gather my thoughts. Um, we, do work back from any sort of symptom reporting that you, that you provided, any sort of pain or soreness that you're feeling, as well as looking at um, any sort of dysfunctional movement patterns um, that you're exhibiting while you're running um, in order to identify where there is some sort of interference that is causing you to move in a path of least resistance that is atypical from what we would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be caused by several different things um, it could be caused by um, uh, issues with the, with the fascia, like plantar fasciitis is a really, really common one. It could also be caused by um, adhesions in your muscles, which actually uh, functionally interfere with the muscle's ability to, to lengthen to its, to its normal range of motion, things like that. And so we're not able to actually identify um, the specific cause down to to what you're talking about Um, but we are able to zero in to say um at what uh part of the kinetic chain are we seeing this sort of interference so that we can um provide some direction to help you do things like the like foam rolling or other sort of smr methods um to to lengthen the areas whether it's the because we're using the example of the ankle whether it's because the soleus itself has these adhesions because you've worked out so much that you've had repeated soreness that uh, you haven't taken care of and therefore these adhesions build up and actually shorten the muscle or if it's because um, something with the the tendon has been occurring that you're actually uh, developing tendinopathy or tendinosis there or down to the fascia on the bottom of your foot. We're able to say that there's something going on um, in this sort of region and we're able to provide some interventions to help um, mitigate these sort of issues. Yeah.
2: And that's really- I was gonna say I, I will just use this opportunity to sort of highlight one probably really key and important thing about Fathom is we what we do is as estimation, right? And we do very informed estimation, yeah. but we work in very well trodden and and fairly I would say very well understood injuries, dysfunctions, movement anomalies, and asymmetries. And so if you think about how the system works, it's 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 not going to be, it's not something that you can wear or interact with with our, our, our free app and, you know, figure out that you have a very rare kind of, um, or a relatively rare kind of condition. We, we kind of serve a majority of overuse problems, um, but we do so by saying, hey, what do we know about plantar fasciitis? And I'm going to use the fascia example because this is probably most relevant to your question. Mm -hmm. What do we know about plantar fasciitis? How it manifests, how it causes, the kind of pain that it causes, the region, the the type of training that this person is doing that's very likely to cause it, and what kinds of biomechanical um, uh, manifestation, what kind of biomechanical manifestation would we expect to see for someone who is uh, about to develop plantar fasciitis or already has it? And so what we look for is like, okay, what do we know about this area? How, what signs are we seeing? And we use that kind of information to get us to uh, uh, basically the, the best estimate for what is going on, how things are interacting, and what is that likely to cause. Mm-hmm. So for example, we can see signs, and I am, I am so not the expert in the specifics of this, but I'm going to use this like general example, we can see a type of Uh, a combination of movements that could be you know, indicative of excess strain on the patellar tendon or you know, potentially a plantar fascia. We don't know which, right? And so we're looking at these signs, we're developing a data set, we're trying to see which one is arising as the highest likelihood thing, and then boom, you tell us, hey, you have pain in your heel. It's like, cool, that's likely plantar, fascia, plantar fasciitis, that's the highest likelihood thing. We are going to treat it, or not not necessarily treat it, but we're gonna help address it in these ways. We're mm-hmm. gonna try to lengthen this, we're gonna try to strengthen this that we're going to try to balance these things out and it's 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 entirely because we we work in like very well researched areas we try to as much as possible preempt what's happening so let's say you don't actually manifest pain but we capture enough information to say, ah, okay, this is this is looking like X, so we're gonna preemptively treat it, or we're gonna preemptively address it, or you're actually manifesting symptoms and we can get there a lot faster and start helping you correct these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, that is, I think, something that is a really useful kind of piece of context to understanding what Fathom is, how it works, and how it can practically help both people who are, um, Uh, potentially at risk for injury because you know you have an imbalance you've had an injury before you haven't treated it it's not going away um Mm. or you're you're kind of currently working through something and you want to stay healthy on the other end does
0: that make sense yeah absolutely makes sense and uh it 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 reminds me of my own situation again where it's like i had a big edge case and i probably should have been talking to a professional uh but before coming up with my own ideas of what i needed to do uh and this is uh (laughs) A reminder for anybody else out there who's facing a difficult and unique situation that uh, you are facing that difficult and unique situation uh, and it's really good to find a specialist and then maybe one thing else I can add about that is that when finding a specialist whew, uh, I'm scared about saying this but basically like uh, rapport I think rapport is one of the best things I like you want to find somebody who doubts things essentially like who's skeptical both of, of, of themselves, of you, uh, and of anybody saying, this is what we need to do. uh, Because those people have usually been the most helpful for me in in figuring out what I've got going on. Um, And also,
1: I would absolutely agree with that. I I think anybody that um, is skeptical, skeptical that the tools that they currently possess are exactly the solution that you need. um, Those are the moments where you should where you should be careful and make sure that you're really trying to find the the source and the cause of the issue. Um, and I think that's another sort of double back to the importance of prevention and that it is so much easier to accommodate a tight calf than it is to accommodate an Achilles tendon that has already developed some sort of tendinosis and tendinopathy. And so regular maintenance and monitoring and care and like daily self routines mm-hmm. that um, facilitate uh, restoration and and rejuvenation is so critical
2: that's one of the big reasons that we focus so heavily on on recovery you get almost all of the all of your fathom activities either as like a warm-up or recovery because um those are the the times when it's really easiest to fit in and and to nip that nip an issue in the bud to be totally honest because it's right after you stress your body do you have the best opportunity to remediate and to address that stress mm-hmm. uh, when you you develop you develop imbalances and adhesions and and all sorts of things when you stress your body and repeatedly don't take care of it um, and so it's you know th- there there are golden gems of opportunities to, to mobilize and 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 uh, prevent injury in you know 10 minutes a day
0: mm. that's so cool and it is something interesting for me, this is purely anecdotal, but the, 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 uh, once I've started to take this rest, the, what you guys are talking about more seriously in my own body, it's been a long time since I've had an actual inner injury, an actual acute injury. I've had a chronic injury that I've been slowly healing myself with and that I'm getting better and better and better at. So like, it feels like I'm almost to the end of this chronic issue, um, but I, I exercise every day and I, I don't have injuries anymore, which is really interesting. Um, That's fantastic to hear. Yeah. So I guess in the last five to 10 minutes, I'm getting this random question in my head right now, which is that if, if you know of any, so I heard it, somebody say that physical therapists use backwards movement um, a lot in rehabilitation, like moving backwards. Um, uh, and, and I think it has something to do neur- neuromuscular stuff where vestibular balance stuff as well, um, and then I started to think about dancing because whenever you're partner dancing uh, you're actually moving backwards and forwards in a pattern with somebody um, and so I've started to think that dancing is actually the most uh, the most uh, profound neurological restructuring in the plasticity and stuff like that is totally like coming out of uh, not what I say evidence, but do you have any inform- more information about moving backwards? <laughs>
1: Not specifically moving backwards, but absolutely moving in ways that you're not um, accustomed to is going to drastically help your ability for your your body to respond and learn how to move in those conditions. But
2: doing so responsibly, yeah. Like you, you you, you wouldn't just get out of bed and run your first marathon. Don't don't randomly start doing backwards plyometric. Uh, box jumps that's not a good idea right if you're
1: into walking backwards <laughs> don't walk 400 meters backwards start with like two yeah. steps then 10 yeah. steps
2: yeah like, like like anything else any new unaccustomed activity is going to yeah, exposing your body to unaccustomed activity gradually slowly building up functional competencies in movement is a fantastic thing it's actually been shown to increase a, an athlete's uh, or, or an individual's resilience to injury um, very well, and that's kind of most the most common concept of that is cross training, right? But for everything, you need a, a portion of time to to adapt. Um, and so, you know, what we always really highly recommend is uh, really start with light, isolated activation don't weight things, don't add speed, don't add resistance, just get moving in that way, in that direction, and then as you become more accustomed, and you will be surprised how sore you get doing something that you have not done before. For anyone who's just had to uh, go up and put up Christmas lights or weed a garden. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but that kind of concept applies to all sorts of functional movements. Just take it slow, take it easy, work your way up into things. It's, um, and try to be as accustomed and, or as, as attuned to your body as you can. That's, that's a real focus and, and goal.
0: This is so interesting for me because it's like when I see kids playing around, kids are able to do so much with no fear of injury. You know, they're doing cartwheels, they're doing all these different things that somehow they lose their ability to do over time. And, you know, as we are all adults, we were, you know, once kids like we've lost that ability to, to do it unless you guys still do cartwheels on a regular basis or I don't know, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I'm trying to get back there, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just something so interesting that kids lose it. And it feels like to me that it has something to do with stress and that more of that psychological, emotional component, I feel like there's a huge thing there as well. Um, that is harder to get evidence on, I think, too. Uh, um, but yeah, that's that's currently where I'm, where my head's at on that. And it's just like it's so interesting how we lose it, and we can get it back. There, you go for it.
1: Yeah, there there are definitely many theories about what it is about children that are mm-hmm. so resilient to um, to injury and why they're able to to act in this sort of way. Um, And many different competing schools of thought, but there are really key points um, that I think everyone can, can agree to be true that stress not only decreases your ability for your body to recover and um, rejuvenate, but it also uh, changes things like the way you breathe that immediately changes your posture, which immediately changes the way that you move. Um, So things like stress changing over time, being able to manage your stress levels will be able to help in these sort of ways, as well as the buildup of dysfunction over time, that um, the more that you uh, sit and slouch because gravity is pushing your shoulders down, the more that you're going to develop tightness in um, your upper back and in your pecs, and that's going to evolve into other dysfunctions. Sitting for hours and hours are going to shorten your hip hip flexors, which changes the way that you actually walk and engage in hip extension, things like that. It all is accumulative yep. and it takes a long time to restore.
0: And this reminds me of, of of something else that I came across recently. This is a pure theory from a, from a massage therapist. But uh, if if we go back and look at our evolutionary landscape, we wouldn't see many chairs around there. Um, I don't know if, <laughs> if you guys have any other information, but you know, go back, go back 20,000 years, you're going to have rocks that are different levels where you're going to sit on maybe. So if you sat down, you'd probably be sitting at different levels throughout time. Um, you know, oh. standing on the floor, going into a squat position, all of these different things. And then all of a sudden the chair comes up and we, it's like a standardized s- seat that you kind of, and for me being tall it was really annoying because it's like, I'm, I'm chronically uncomfortable. And, uh, and so, uh, what this massage therapist said was that most people don't know where their pelvic floors are. Um, because uh, they are, there is so much sitting on our butts, basically, that we uh, have almost too much stimulation on, on that area so that we actually start to lose some stimulation. Because most people don't know that you can actually breathe into the pelvic floor um, and that in a very sensitive body, which ideally we, we all want to get to, essentially, is, is that you can actually feel your pelvic floor um, uh, as you breathe which is you know i've taught a lot of people uh breath exercises and very 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 few people even know where the pelvic floor is um and and so i, th- I find it really interesting and, and but it doesn't mean that you don't sit because it's like you know it's like you can't mm-hmm. like you guys are saying you can't immediately just stop sitting it's just you're going to be really uncomfortable um and, mm-hmm. and you know it'll cause pain and dysfunction so yeah yeah
2: but, but, you know, like the, all of those environmental conditions do lead to a lot of really predictable anomalies in people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Most people who have a desk job very likely have shortened hip flexors, right? Um, and so most people who work behind a computer, a small screen, a laptop, you know, may have that shortened pack elongated. Um, upper back and so there's there's a lot of just like really basic things that most people would benefit from from doing um, where things get complicated is how do you, these anomalies um, imbalances length tension I- imbalances and dysfunctions layer on top of each other to make the profile of an individual unique yeah. um, and this is the point at which I tra- transition to saying um, you know we this is something that we care about quite a bit and we've made a uh, a version of our product completely free available on the app store if you search for fathom stretch strength and avoid injury um, some combination of those things is going to get you to us um and we you know one of the things that we do really really well is understand uh and 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 try to uh, recommend uh, the best um uh, combination of exercises, lengthening, uh, foam rolling, stretching, uh, activation exercises to help kind of take some of those most, most common uh, combination of anomalies and, and help you remediate them over time. So uh, for the average person who's doing maybe the same kinds of exercises, the same kind of sitting every day, those things are probably going to be pretty similar, pretty pretty repetitive, but over time you can actually see those things, the exercises change. Um, for people who use our sensor system, you're gonna see a lot more variability and the ability to see progress. So as you do the activities, your movement should get better over time. We should see those anomalies diminish. And so you know, we, we really care to serve uh, you, whether you're a pro, Fathom Pro user or not, one of our sensor users or, or not. Um, and so if you're, if you're someone who really cares about mobility and cares about um, kind of long-term health and uh, injury risks, go ahead and try it out, it's it's one of the better tools out there for helping you stretch scientifically and intelligently.
0: Cool, so uh, for those of the listeners, go check out Fathom AI, and there is no dot in between Fathom AI, it's Fathom AI. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know I I desperately want one too, but uh, it's gonna be hard to get one in Columbia. But uh, well, <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys ship internationally or?
1: We're not yet CE certified, no. Yeah. Wait, what, no. <laughs> okay. Um, CE certification. I know that's for the EU. I actually don't know what sort of regulations would be in place in order to ship to, to Columbia. Hmm.
0: What, what is the, what is the CE uh, certification?
1: Um, it has to do with, is it radios or anything with the battery? I forget uh, it, it,
2: Every, yeah. So every, every country basically has uh, a set of certifications that you need to pass in terms of radio emissions and, uh, like, like, you know, battery testing and, uh, electronic safety testing. And so, uh, all of the ones in the U S are slightly different from all of the ones in, everywhere uh, else. <laughs> yeah, everywhere else, but CE is the most common one. for.
0: I thought, I thought it would have to do with a, uh, like a medical device. So like, I thought it would have oh, to no. be more with the, more with the kind of like, uh, which is interesting for those of you who don't know, and who are still listening that FDA doesn't regulate medical devices in the same way that they regulate, uh, drugs. So, and this is actually the reason why I got into my situation was that a dentist was allowed to prescribe and use Invisalign uh, as opposed to uh, orthodontists, um, and uh, uh, so dentists are basically allowed to do it, uh, and uh, even though they don't have formal training in how to how to move teeth. Um which was interesting. So <laughs> well thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Uh it's been a huge pleasure and i I was I'm really excited to uh, I was really excited to get into the biomechanics and uh it was a complete success from my from my from my point of view. So
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah. great to hear. Thanks so much. This is fun.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode with the founders of Fathom. I am going to take a break for the Christmas, and I hope you do too. And I hope you enjoy your Time with your family. Uh, so, I won't be publishing any more episodes this week. Uh, I will be back on next Monday. Uh, I'll start publishing more episodes and maybe we'll take the first of January off, but maybe not. Um, and I'll just continue publishing. Uh, and yeah, if you have any thoughts on this, please find me at, at Twitter, on Twitter, at Stuart Alsop, III, uh, and find us on iTunes or Spotify and searching for crazy wisdom and hitting the subscribe button. So have a great day and have a happy holidays.